Afternoon everyone, I'm Liam, one of the pastors here, or the other pastor here, it's not like we've got 20, um, and it's great to be here today. Uh, recently, Lucy and I have been watching, well we finished it now, uh, a mini-series on Netflix uh, called Chernobyl. Has anyone watched it? Anyone seen that yet? Okay, highly recommended, but you know it's very disturbing, it's quite heavy. Uh, and it's, it's a fairly accurate, dramatised account of what happened with the Chernobyl disaster. Uh, I won't do all the spoilers. Well, there's, you, we already know the spoilers, don't we? <laughs> um, but it's really interesting as you, you're going through and you're watching these dramatised accounts and you're seeing uh, the reactor explode and then through a series of uh, the scientists and the heads and, and as you go up through those who are in charge... And they're all saying, keep it quiet, don't tell anyone. They're saying, no, no, that couldn't have happened. And they're refusing to evacuate the local town. And, and you're watching as uh, these real events unfold and, and thousands of the local people come out at night and stand on a railway bridge watching the lights in the sky. They've come out, they've brought their children out to see them. And there's radioactive ash falling on them. Uh, we know that they'll all be dead within months. You're watching as they send in firefighters still saying there hasn't been a reactor meltdown, it's just a fire. And they send these hundreds and hundreds of firefighters in in just normal firefighting gear, no real protection. And they're, they're being sent to their deaths, unbeknownst to them. And, and, you, and you see this, uh, this, this happening and, and it forces you, when you watch this real devastation unfolding, you're forced to ask, uh, who's, who's responsible uh, this actually, this is a real picture of uh, some of the people who went on trial uh, for in the Russian system uh, to, to work out who can we pin this on? Who can we pin this on? Who, who's responsible? Who, <clears throat> who can we hold to account for this disaster? And I was watching it. I was certainly thinking, oh, that's what I want to know. Who's, who's responsible? Uh, whose fault is it? Because it was an absolutely catastrophic uh, thing. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we ask this in normal life, don't we? We ask who's responsible whenever something catastrophic happens. When, when something that deeply hurts us or others, when we're watching on, uh, we almost instinctively we ask ourselves who's responsible? Who's to blame for this? Uh, sometimes it might be look, because we're looking for someone who would lay the blame. We might be looking for someone to punish so that we can feel that justice has been done. Sometimes at that, often it's because we avoid... Uh, we're trying to avoid responsibility. And, and that's what we saw as we watched the Chernobyl thing unfold, that they, everyone was trying to pin it on someone else so that they could say, it wasn't my fault. We did the right thing. They were looking for a scapegoat. Now, in today's passage, we have an event that's even more devastating and horrifying than Chernobyl, even if you could uh, imagine it. Uh, everyone's looking for someone to blame. And as we step through, uh, first, we're going to see the horror uh, of what's happening in today's passage. Uh, and then we'll ask, just like they did at Chernobyl, where does the responsibility lie? And, and finally, how does God's love fit into all this? Uh, but first of all, it's the horror of what's happening. And Clive's going to read to us from Matthew 27, 26 to 44. It'll be on the screen, but that's the page if you want to look it up in the Bible that you've got up the back. So come on, Clive. Thanks for that. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. 
Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, they twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head, they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Uh, Verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified on his left, to those on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks uh, for reading that for us, Clive. Um, I hope you started to feel a bit of a sense of horror as Clive was reading. Uh, the, the, the danger is, especially if you've been around church for some time, you've most likely read that a few times, you're, you're familiar with it, uh, and it's easy to become familiar with these passages. It's, it's easy for us to go numb to what's going on. We're, we're mentally recognising, but we're not really feeling the horror of it. So today we're going to slow down, we're going to step through this passage, and we're just going to try and feel the horror of what's happening here. And first I want to remind us of who this is, who this Jesus is. Uh, He's God himself. We've discovered that walking through Matthew, God himself humbled to become flesh. The eternal God become incarnate. The eternal God, the all-powerful God become human, come to save. He healed people, he loved people, Uh, And he was welcomed into Jerusalem just a week earlier. But but now, having been declared innocent by the Roman governor, that's just what happened just before that passage. Uh, The governor said, he hasn't done anything wrong. But on the back of those words, verse 26, the governor, he released Barabbas to them, who was a rebel, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, Now, 
just want to note there that, that he had Jesus flogged and then we move on with the story. Flogging is an, was an incredible thing. It was actually a formal part of the cru- crucifixion process. Um, so in the Roman society, that's what happened before crucifixions were flogged. There was a bit of a system. There's usually two soldiers who'd be standing on each side of the prisoner. The only person, uh, people who were exempt uh, were women and children who were going towards crucifixion. Sometimes uh, they were exempt from the flogging. Uh, and the whips often had many, you might have heard this before, many tails, many strands uh, with little bits of bone and bits of lead embedded into them. The lead would cause deep bruising uh, and the bone would actually stick in the flesh and, and rip it off. This was a horrendous, horrendous thing. The other word for this is scourge or scourge. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's a, uh, it was a terrible process and often left, uh, often left the, the person to be crucified uh, with some of their internal organs showing uh, it was just a, an absolutely torturous thing. But, but even, even that, that wasn't enough for the soldiers. That was, they hadn't had their fill of, of torture and mockery. Verse 27, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium or the governor's uh, courtyard and gathered the whole company of soldiers around them. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, they knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now this is post-flogging. They've just tortured him almost to death. This is just a bit of extra fun. They hadn't, they hadn't finished with him yet. Uh, I was doing a bit of slashing uh, in the paddock, and I got tangled in a blackberry. I probably got about three little thorns. This was just two days ago, mm-hmm. and I was being a bit of a sook because they hurt. Uh, but but a, a crown of thorns is woven together and pressed into his head. Uh, this is intentional humiliation. They've uh, they gather the whole company around them. They're not happy just with those who are who were there. They say, "Come on, guys! Come on, fellas! Join in!" Uh, and they're, they're, they're joining for the mocking. Uh, this, this crown of thorns, the robe, the start, and in this brutal irony, they bow down before him. They, they bow down before him. And then gathering around to spit in derision, they take away the staff and beat his already tortured body. This isn't the first bit. This is just another link in the chain, and it's just described in a couple of verses. Uh, and, uh, and then they finally... We'll see, not quite finally, are done with this torture and they lead him away to be crucified. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, where they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they'd crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lot. Now, why, why are they... Why are they getting Simon to, to carry the cross now? It, it seems that these soldiers, they're not, they're, not in the, in, they're not in a merciful frame of mind. We know that. They've already taken the torture beyond what they were instructed, beyond what they had to do. They've already delighted in mocking and forcing Jesus to suffer as much as he can. So they won't think, oh, he's had enough. Let's give him a break. Uh, that indicates to us that Jesus was so weak from his flogging and torture that he couldn't carry it. So they, they recruit uh, probably a Jew who's come in from Cyrene for the feast that's going on to carry the cross for him. Uh, just uh, interestingly, Golgotha, 
the, the place of the skull. There's a word that we, we might be familiar with called Calvary. Uh, the word Calvary is just the, the Englishized, Englishized version of uh, Golgotha from the Latin. Um, so the, the Latin word for Golgotha sounds a bit like Calvary and we, we picked that up. So when you think about Calvary, we sing, a, uh, we sing songs about it. That's what it's talking I, I, I cast my mind to the place of the skull. I think about Calvary when I come to the place of the skull. That's what we're singing. That's what we're talking about. And there, there he was crucified. Do you notice that the, the crucifixion isn't even described properly? It's given in past tense. And when they crucified him, it's not, and then they crucified him. It's just a, it's, it's, it's like a footnote, less than a verse, a throwaway line. It's not even really described. But this terrible death of being stripped, stripped naked and shamed, uh, having nails driven through your wrists and your feet, uh, and then then hung, suspended by your feet and your ankles uh, to die this agonising death hung on this piece of wood. And, and then from verses 34 to 44, everyone takes their turn mocking, insulting and humiliating Jesus. The soldiers have a go in verses uh, 34 to 38. Uh, uh, then they uh, offered to Jesus this wine to drink, this wine with gall. Uh, that, that seems to be some really bitter herb. So it seems to be another cruel joke. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not trying to ease his pain. They're going, he, he, he would have been so thirsty. He's been tortured and walked up this hill. Uh, and they say, oh, here, have a drink. And he tastes it and he can't even stomach it. It would only make him sick because it's got this gall in it, this mocking. Uh, And the sign that's hung above his head, just this ironic, humiliating sign, here's the king of the Jews. What court of king is this? Here's the self-styled king of the Jews. It's consistent with the crown of thorns and the robe. They're, They're mocking him. They're humiliating him. And as this spectacle proceeds, the crowds join in. Uh, you who are going to destroy the temple, they, they yell at him, and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because if Jesus did as they asked, as they taunted him, if, if he saved himself and came down off the cross, there would be no salvation offered to these crowds who are mocking him. It's actually by staying on the cross, Jesus is saying, I won't save myself because to save myself, I would be condemning you. By staying on the cross, Jesus is saying, I choose not to save myself so that I might go through this process to save you. And all this is thrown in his face. The priests, the scribes, the Jewish elders uh, add their voice um, to the mocking Come down, they say. Come down and we'll believe you. Just give us this little sign. Come off your cross. If God loves you so much, God loves you so much, he'll save you. Even the rebels crucified next to him uh, also heaped these insults on him. Uh, Interestingly, the, the, the word for rebels there is the same word that we'll find used for Barabbas earlier. We'll come to that in a minute. Uh, so these are likely the, the same band of rebels that were caught together. They're Barabbas's mates. And this is the spot in between them where the leader of the rebellion, Barabbas, was meant to be hanging. 
See, one of the Old Testament prophets hundreds of years earlier described this scene. Uh, Isaiah who described this scene like this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Even the other criminals uh, would spit on him if their spit would reach that far. Despised. Despised. Like one from whom people... You, you almost don't want to look. It, it's so humiliating and horrifying. Suffering, rejected and despised by all. And, and you know what? The amazing thing is, is that the physical and mental and emotional suffering that we see described here, that's not even the half of it. Now, next week, we're going to spend more time looking at this, uh, at what happened on the cross over the next few hours. Uh, But what the Bible makes clear is that the physical suffering that Jesus endured was not at the core of what was going on. At the cross, uh, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. Rob stepped this through us a couple of weeks ago as we saw Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed explicitly, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. He knows what's coming. It's this, this cup of God's wrath. It's the biblical way of describing the righteous anger and punishment of God that will be poured out on those who are his enemies. Uh, in the Old Testament, God's enemies are being described as being made to drink this cup right down to the dregs, to the last bitter drops of his wrath. And it's, it's that wrath that Jesus, uh, Jesus was dreading uh, it's on the cross that Jesus is, was uh, to drink this full cup of God's righteous and holy anger against rebellion, against all the rebellion and rejection, all the hurt and selfishness and wrongdoing. It's God's righteous judgment on all the sin of all people of all ages, but focused on this one man at this one time. And, and that was happening. And it's not just the physical. This is a soul-crushing wrath of God. As horrifying as it is to contemplate the physical suffering Jesus, this this cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink is incomparably worse. Uh, Rob showed us a quote a couple of weeks ago. So good, I'm going to repeat it uh, here. There are those who would say that having seen the events of Jesus' life portrayed in film are better equipped to understand Jesus' sacrifice, like watching The Passion of the Christ. Make no mistake, this could never be. Though you may have greater appreciation for the physical abuse and torture Jesus endured, you can never begin to know the depths of his sacrifice. Seeing the drama of a spike being driven through the arms of a man tells you no more about the sacrifice of Jesus than seeing a thimble full of water helps a child understand the power, depths and vastness of the oceans. Do not presume to understand what you can never comprehend. Uh, Looking at this, contemplating the physical suffering, it's good. It's good to understand what he went through. But don't make the mistake of thinking that that we can even begin to understand what he was going through. Now, as I said, we'll dig deeper into what's happening on the cross next week. But today, now, are you beginning to feel the horror, the, the absolute horror of what is happening here? See, when I was watching Chernobyl's series, I began to see these firefighters uh, being sent right into the state, uh, into the site. Uh, they'd be dead in weeks. I know how it ends. When, 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 I, when I, I heard, uh, it felt like in live time, the reports from, I think it was Switzerland, were the first reports uh, of, of radioactive uh, air coming up 
uh, from a power plant down in Switzerland and they'd, they'd found it. When you hear that, you think, wow, what is this doing? As the thousands of people in the city right there were not evacuated just to save face so that Russia didn't look bad, as that horror grew, so did the need for responsibilities. You saw more and more people being sent to their death, more and more you went, this is wrong. Who will answer for this? Who's responsible? And here in Matthew 27, as an even greater horror unfolds, so does our need to find who's responsible. Now, back to the start of the chapter, chapter 27. Uh, First, we're going to see the first two contenders for who's responsible. Uh, Are the Jewish leaders, the priests, the teachers of the law, are the leaders of the people or the elders? And Judas, the betrayer. And we'll pick that up uh, in verse 1 of 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders and the people, they made their plans for how to to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this in the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken of uh, through the prophet Jeremiah, through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now, now Judas tries to avoid responsibility, doesn't he? Uh, he, he, He's racked with guilt. And and the only last shred of hope uh, he can see to to let himself off the hook is to give back the money and somehow, somehow feel like he can avoid responsibility. Um, But but so are the priests with their... uh, but, but, But... he can't, can he? Giving back the money, it's too late. It's too late, Judas. You, you can't avoid responsibility. The priest says, one of the true things they say, it's, it's your responsibility. It's your, you can't just give back the money and, and wipe your hands of it. It's your fault, Judas. But, but it's also the priest's responsibility. And we saw that all the way through. Actually, all the way through Matthew, they have been scheming and planning uh, to, to get rid of Jesus. Uh, they have orchestrated this whole thing. They, they are responsible too. Now, now, out of this chapter and actually out of the Gospels, uh, unfortunately, a whole lot of anti-Semitism, uh, uh, a racial hatred against Jews has come. Uh, Martin Luther, he, he did a whole lot of good things to the Christian church. He, he wrote a bunch of pretty vile stuff about the Jews. Uh, lots and lots of people over the years have... Have, have sort of called the Jews the Christ killers and have used this as an excuse to persecute them. Uh, and now, I don't need to say, but I will, that is absolutely and totally not okay. Uh, and to try and pin all this on the Jews is just outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Because the reality is the Jews were powerless to kill Jesus. They were powerless. They weren't allowed to, uh, to kill people. They weren't allowed to execute people. That's why they went to Pilate. They, they couldn't kill him. They're not allowed to do it. They needed a Roman governor, a thoroughly non-Jewish Roman ruler 
to see their plan through. It was Pilate who ultimately gave the order. So is Pilate responsible? Let's have a look. This Roman governor, verse 11. Meanwhile, so while that's all going on, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You've said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it's the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At the time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, uh, asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they'd handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting in the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus, who's called Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why, he said, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, for me, I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got four little girls. And those words from the crowd are chilling, aren't they? His blood be on us and on their children. We are responsible. The crowd are incited into such a, a blood lust. To see this man, Jesus, crucified, they willingly say, it's on us, pin it on and on our children. But can Pilate really just wash his hands of this? Can pull it out a bowl of water and sort of wave it around saying, oh, it's not my fault, it's not my... Can he really wash his hands of that? Now, when I was uh, younger and more irresponsible, uh, I would uh, sometimes, might shock you, drive irresponsibly... Um, and, and it is really serious. We, we see the, the tolls on the roads. Uh, but if I, I, and regularly I'd have a friend with me and they'd be urging me on and saying, yeah, yeah, do it. Um, now, if I were to say, oh, I don't really want to drive irresponsibly, I, I, yeah, I don't want to be responsible for that. Are you willing to take responsibility for anything that happens tonight? And they go, yeah, yeah, I'll take responsibility. Oh, it's not your fault. Yeah, I'm telling you. Now, now if, if, if I go, right, so I, I drive irresponsibly and I kill someone. I run someone over. Does, does that mean anything that they said, I'll take responsibility? I was behind the wheel. I was pushing the accelerator. That's Pilot. It's his signature on the death order. They could not do this without him. He said, oh, you made me do No, you didn't, mate. He was the one. He was the one who signed the death order. He cannot get away with this. And, and that little thing about not listening to his wife, you know, always listen to your wife is the first... Uh, illustration. Well, if, if she's had a dream from God then. But, but wow, like, why is that there? It's just to make sure, isn't it? Make sure that Pilate's got no wiggle room. 
Pilate can't later on say, oh, but I didn't know. But I didn't. He knew he was innocent. He declared him innocent. God even went to the trouble of sending uh, his wife a, a prophetic dream to say, don't go there. Have nothing to do with it. Everyone here is responsible, aren't they? And they, in fact, that's how this Chernobyl miniseries starts with the narrator saying everyone's responsible. But there's a surprising twist. And the surprising twist is that we are responsible too. That prophet I mentioned earlier, Isaiah, he, he was a, one of God's prophets. He, God gave him words, revelations for God's people. Uh, sometimes they're about the future. Mostly they're actually calling God's people back to repentance. Uh, he was writing around 680 to 700 BC. So we're looking at some 710 to 20 years before the events that we're describing, uh, that we're reading today. And Isaiah in that chapter 53 of, uh, of the book uh, called Isaiah writes this. Uh, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. We read that before. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that bore us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. It was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave to the, with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah makes it clear, as does the rest of the Bible, that the events of the cross, the events of Jesus' suffering and crucifixion, were for us. He was innocent in, in, in every way. Innocent of the formal charges accused of him, but he was innocent before God, innocent of sin. Jesus would not have come to do this if there was no human sin or rebellion. It wouldn't have happened. If we had not sinfully rebelled against God, Jesus would not have come to do this. It's our punishment that he's taking. Does reading and hearing these words from Isaiah and Matthew 27, do you want to bow your head in shame? Does it make you not want to meet anyone's eyes? Because in the back of your mind, you're thinking of that particular sin or rebellion in your life that you know Jesus was suffering for. And you don't want who you're sitting next to to know that. And you can't imagine everyone else knowing. If you're feeling the weight of this, I want to say, praise God, that is a blessing. It's actually a gift from God that you recognise your part in that. It doesn't come naturally. No, God, God reveals this to us and helps us to see this, to see my part in this. And, and it's, it's good because ultimately... Ultimately, under the responsibility of Judas, 
under the responsibility of the Jews, under the responsibility of the soldiers and the crowds, even under our responsibility and our sin, under all of that stands God. Under all of that stands God planning and arranging this whole thing. And when you realise that, you, you can't help but feel loved. I want to read on from Isaiah. We stopped at verse 9. Here's verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. Uh, You see it back in verse 6 again, don't you? you? You see this. It was God's planning. It's God's will. It's God's orchestrating. You see God's action in verse 6. We've done this. We've gone astray. We've turned our own out. Who laid on him? Who laid on Jesus the iniquity? It was the Lord. Under all this is God. What we, dis- we, we heard read, what we're reading, what we're looking at next week, it's, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake it's not even making the best of a bad situation. I, I often hear, even Christians describe, oh, God was just making the best. No, no. God didn't take a bad situation and bring something good out of it. God planned this. He willed this. He intended this. Father, Son, Spirit, together before the foundation of the world. I've actually brought a book up with me, a great theology book written for kids. Um, uh, we've, this copy's off the bookstore. We've got them there. There's a whole series. I just want to read. I've actually got this one on the screen. Took a photo of it earlier. Um, I'm going to read from the third line, uh, second line. Oh, we'll, we'll read the whole thing. You ready? Jesus is God's son. He lived with his father up in heaven. And he looked down on the world and saw the people doing bad things. He knew that God must punish them. But God didn't want to punish the people who did bad things. Jesus and his father had already agreed on a special plan. And Jesus said, I will go down to earth and you must punish me instead of the people who sin. They deserve to die, but I will die instead. In the picture, Sarah's mum is pointing to heaven where Jesus lived before he came to earth. It's got a little Bible verse there. You can look up and see where this is coming from. Recommend the book. But here's how Paul puts that same thing in Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Did you pick that up? When was this plan made? Before the world's foundations were laid, before the world was created. He planned to save us. Planned to save us, to forgive us with his blood. Now, we all know John's 3.16. Well, you might. God so loved the world. Very, very famous. But how about 1 John 3.16? Uh, It's another book written by John, this time a letter. Here's 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Where do we see love? 
that Jesus laid down his life for us. John again in his gospel records this greater love, Jesus uh, says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This was planned in love before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, before any of existed, before God was committed to a human race. He knew what it would take to save a people to himself. He knew what it would take to forgive us. If you were faced with that choice and you, and you wanted <laughs> this people to be your own, to have a relationship with, but you knew how terribly they would sin, you knew how rebellious and adulterous they would be, and you knew what you would have to do to save them, to forgive them, would you even create them in the first place? Yet God did. That's how committed he was to loving us, to redeeming us. There's a wonderful little uh, picture in the middle of this uh, passage today. Uh, it's a little picture of Barabbas. Uh, we, we read it. Uh, it's this, uh, this rebel. Uh, we, we know from the other gospel accounts that he was accused of leading a rebellion. Now, at the time, there were quite a few rebellions, Jewish rebellions happening. They didn't like the Romans being there. Uh, and it, So Barabbas is a bit like a Robin Hood of, of that time. He was upsetting the Romans. He was stealing from them. And the Jews, they sort of liked him. Romans didn't. That's why he was going to be crucified. Almost certainly it was his cross that Jesus was hung on. That's the same word for Barabbas the rebel as these two other rebels. They're probably the same band. And they were planned to be executed on that day to say, here's what happens if you rebel against Roman rule. But Barabbas... He walks out of this unscathed. He walks out of this freed by the governor. The one who deserved to be there by Roman justice walked away while Jesus, who, who was accused of leading rebellion and didn't, took his place. Why the detail was that there? I, I just think that is such an invitation to insert your name into the story. Amen. To insert yourself into the story and think, this is, this is me. That, that's a picture of what happens to us. We escape what we should, uh, we should have borne if we put our trust in Jesus, if we follow and trust him. So the, the application, the homework from this today, what to do? Well, I, I want to recommend that you spend some time in Matthew 27. Get your Bible if you don't have one. Take one of the church Bibles. It's our gift to you. We'd love you to have it. If you want something bigger, there's heaps on the bookstore. Get your Bible, spend some time in Matthew 27, spend some time in Isaiah 53 and and just slow down and feel the horror of what's happening. Read through Isaiah, read the account of Barabbas and feel the responsibility, the reality. You know what you have done, you know if you treated God and others and you, that was taken by Jesus. That's why, that's why he hung there. And then feel loved. Feel loved. Uh, we're going to respond uh, to this in just a minute uh, by singing this wonderful song before the throne of God above. And, and I just want to read this first verse. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. So this is picturing a courtroom. And we're accused of deserving judgment for our rebellion against God. That's what we're accused of. And we are all guilty. 
Before that throne, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We're going to sing that and afterwards uh, we're going to have some dinner together. But right after the service, we do this each week. There'll be a couple of us just out that hallway to the right. Uh, Yep, to the right, I'll be out there. If you want to pray about this, if you want to accept this forgiveness that Jesus loved, that Jesus had done, if you just want to pray about anything that's popped into mind, come, come out and see us. That's a good and appropriate response to hearing from God's word. Uh, so let's sing. Thanks, guys.